The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with your Bosa and John Fort. Today, two giant tech bellwethers out with upbeat results. Investors once again betting on Apple and Amazon as recession fears rock the rest of tech. We'll talk about that. Intel shares, as you know, getting crushed. The biggest sales miss since 99. CEO Pat Gelsinger says their own execution issues are partly to blame. And we'll talk to him in just a couple of minutes right here on Tech Check on the heels of earnings and the passage of the CHIPS Act. And then Roku shares plummeting, the stock losing a quarter of its value. We'll discuss what it means for other advertising-based names like Warner, Disney, and the growth trade broadly deep. Hi, Carl. John, good morning. TGIF, what a big week it has been. And we start our show with Amazon shares. They are surging today after reporting better than expected Q2 results. The company painting a bright picture against a challenging macro backdrop for the consumer. Q3 revenue outlook comes in ahead of estimates. They say consumer spending has remained strong. Management also adding that overcapacity concerns, something that dragged down the stock in the first half of the year, are now being solved. They do warn, however, that inflationary pressures remain and will could be strong. Strong in Q3, a negative on the quarter. Amazon taking a $3.9 billion hit on its investment in Rivian, which resulted in an overall loss of $2 billion. But there was a $12 billion gain a few quarters earlier. But here's the takeaway, guys. I mean, <laughs> this is basically Andy Jassy saying he knows this playbook. He's been there for two decades. He watched Jeff Bezos, helped Jeff Bezos um, figure a lot of this stuff out. Amazon went from one of the worst performing mega caps this year to maybe, John, in the best position for the second half of the year. And I got to give you credit. You called this when a lot of the street was getting bearish on the name or thinking maybe the, how did these overcapacity issues happen? You said maybe they're figuring it out now so they could be better positioned. Uh, thank you for the credit. I, I will say I thought there was a pretty good chance, right, given their scale and given the data they have at their disposal and the experience that they have, if, if somebody's going to be able to recover from this relatively quickly, it would be this company. And I think part of the storyline that we're seeing play out, certainly for Amazon, but across this earnings season so far, at this stage in this economic difficulty, we're seeing that scale players with the healthiest platforms are faring way better than their competitors, whether that is Amazon or Apple or Microsoft or Google or even Walmart, right? Walmart got hit earlier in the week when they gave that warning about the effects of inflation. It's almost recovered entirely stock-wise from that because at the same time, they're also saying same-store sales are actually up. Their consumer is returning to them for what they're good at, and Amazon was saying something similar here to a, to a better result for them yeah. uh, stock-wise, certainly. The, the other thing I would say, guys, is that now this is one of the few actual reacceleration stories in the market right now. I mean, Microsoft and Alphabet, they were OK. But the reason those share prices rose is because they weren't as bad as people were fearing. Amazon, Apple, they were actually good, better than expected. We can use that well-used phrase. Um, it's a share gainer. In this market, Carl, that is a very difficult thing to do. 
Amazon took its medicine in the first half. They're ready for the second. Yep. I wonder, though, what it does to some of the uh, bull stories that we talked about before the downturn that were going to supposedly, John, catapult it into a different uh, league. Uh, Same-day delivery, advertising becoming its own growth business. Are those things, have those things been tempered, given what we're going to talk about in a moment regarding Roku? I don't think the advertising piece has. Just because the segment of the advertising market that's been the most affected uh, so far is that auction-based ad model where you're sort of, it, it's, the, it's the performance ad stuff. Well, you know, <laughs> what Amazon is doing is it's very clearly able to connect through first party data uh, these ads to results. Right. And so I think at least at this stage in the again, at this stage in the economic difficulty, this is part of why they're doing well. We don't know what the next stage is going to hold. Are things stabilizing? Are they getting worse? And if they get worse, I think there's a pretty good chance that even these, you know, big spaceships with strong shields will start to take on some damage, Carl. Yeah. Uh, guys, let's move on to Apple this morning. Got a beat in the, on the top and the bottom line, as you know. Tim Cook telling our own Steve Kovac the company expects growth to accelerate despite some pockets of softness. And Steve joins us this morning. Steve, what did you learn last night? Oh, man. Well, let's use Tim Cook's own words, Carl. A, a cocktail of headwinds that Apple was actually able to navigate pretty well and perform better than anyone had expected. So you'll remember a quarter ago, Tim Cook came out with that warning. These COVID shutdowns and supply chain issues in China is going to cause a $4 billion to $8 billion hit. Well, it was actually under that $4 billion. I tried to press Tim on that, exactly what that revenue figure was, but he wouldn't tell me. But it was uh, below what they um, had been expecting. And so where are they seeing the biggest problems? It's mostly in the Mac. That business has been screaming the last couple of years during the pandemic. And we saw it drop 10%, largely due to supply chain issues, a little FX headwinds there. And it's a different story than we heard from Microsoft on, on the PC side. Microsoft told us in June they saw the PC market, quote, deteriorating. And yesterday on the call, Tim Cook saying, well, we can't even test demand because we just can't make enough of these Macs to even see what the demand really is. Then the demand is totally different on the iPhone side, incredibly strong, especially in China. They don't have to compete with Huawei there anymore. So the iPhone business is still doing really well despite all these macroeconomic headwinds, guys. Those are the fundamentals, but Apple is also an incredibly, let's just call it smart company, yeah. efficient company. And when you look at the strength of the U.S. dollar and how that hit the other mega caps, Apple in particular was able to hedge. Why are they able to do so much that so much better? Is that Tim Cook and Luca Maestri? Yeah, I, in fact, that was the question I asked Luca Maestri, the CFO, yesterday on our call. And I said, what did you do to mitigate these foreign exchange uh, headwinds? And one of the things they can do, and we've seen them do, was adjust pricing. They raised the price of the iPhone in Japan, for example. And Luca kind of hinted to me that we might see some more price increases as they deal with these headwinds. But foreign ex you can't really do that as much on the services side, D. That's kind of to blame for that slight miss on the services uh, revenue number that they had. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, what tools they have in order to combat foreign exchange headwinds uh, on the services side of the business, which we know is so important to them. Steve, uh, any color on labor costs and yeah. just sort of labor strategy. That had been something that there was a lot of chatter about a few weeks ago, both when it comes to Amazon, certainly, but also uh, to Apple. But, you know, with, with the stock doing what it is this morning, I'm not sure people are so worried about that. Yep. That was one of my questions for Mr. Cook. I said, what are you what are you seeing in hiring? 
uh, are you slowing down? Now, he wouldn't say we're slowing down. He wouldn't use that word. And I know that report uh, last week kind of rattled markets a bit. But he did say they're going to be, quote, deliberate in how they hire. And, and inflation is hitting them, you know, and hiring. It's hitting them on the silicone. It's hitting them all across the board uh, for all the things they do. But they're going to continue to hire. Uh, but again, Cook telling me it's going to be deliberate hiring. All right. Steve Kovac, thank you. Thanks, guys. Now, let's get to another earnings mover going the opposite direction. That is Intel. Stock is now down a little more than 10%. The chip maker missing estimates on the top and bottom lines, slashing its full year guidance, feeling the pain of continued supply constraints, but really a slowdown in PC demand as well. Uh, execution issues too. Joining us now in a first on CNBC interview, Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger. Pat, uh, good to see you. Um, boy, ugly quarter, and I want to understand better um, what you see in it and beyond it. So, um, first, dealing with PC demand overall and your confidence heading into, I'm going to jump way ahead even to Q4. You're drawing down inventory, but you're also expecting to raise prices in Q4. Uh, what gives you the confidence that you can do both at the same time and that that inventory drawdown is going to happen uh, at the rate that you need, even as demand continues to be soft. Yeah, thanks, John. And yesterday was a incredibly good day with the Chipsack passage, but also a tough day uh, with the earnings update. And clearly, we didn't meet our expectations nor our shareholders' expectations. Part of that was driven, of course, by the acute economic swing that we saw. But part of it was our own execution, and we're owning up to that uh, as well. You know, on the PC side, as you uh, start with, uh, what we were, you know, we were clearly ahead of the market on our expectations. And literally, uh, you know, we've been years of catching up to demand. And with this sharp economic uh, swing, all of a sudden we got hit two ways there. One was, you know, the decline in the consumption rate, but the other was an immediate shift on the part of our OEMs and channel to adjust inventory. And everybody was carrying too much inventory just because of match sets, expanding the demand requirements and the difficulties of supply. So at this point, part of what gives us confidence in the second half and into next year is our consumption rate is now below that of the end user. So we're clearly drawing down a supply and there's gonna be a natural bounce back as we go into the second half of a stronger year. Also, you know, the, the changes were primarily driven on the consumer side, John, and the strength of enterprise where we have higher market share, higher ASPs, you know, we continue to see that. And, you know, also we now have 600 million PCs that are over four years old and the usage of the PC in the post-pandemic world remains extremely high. That, we've adjusted our outlook now. We took about 10% out of our forecast for the market, but still comfortably above 300 million units. You know, before we were above the market, you know, now we're right aligned with the market in their forecast, 310 to 325 million PCs. You know, we don't see that changing with the replacement rate, the usage rates as we go into next year. But now we're right in right. the middle of the pack. The range that we gave is consistent with those market uh, characteristics. And finally, I'd say, John, is we have our best PC product line in at least five years. Alder Lake, you know, we're now ramping Meteor Lake to our customers. Soon, uh, next, uh, yeah. <laughs> Raptor Lake next year, a Meteor Lake, a very strong product line. So we also see ourselves as a share gainer, even as we go through some turbulence in the marketplace. 
So overall, we're very confident. And as we said on the call yesterday, this is the bottom. We're rebuilding from here. Okay. Uh, talk to me about data center. Uh, I believe the data center unit was down 23% quarter over quarter, even though um, a lot of business spending on this sort of thing hasn't fallen off as much as uh, consumers it seemed to. Uh, you've already said that your data center business overall, at least in the near term, is going to grow slower than the market. But how much of this is execution issues that you think you can you can take care of in a quarter or two and start to see some improvement there. Yeah, and overall, some of the data center was driven by the market and economics, but part of it was also driven by our execution. And the biggest factor there was our Sapphire Rapids. You know, we did find an issue before ramping that in production as we expected. And, you know, we're reestablishing the quality bar that people would expect of Intel and Maybe that would have been the case in the past, but it will definitely be the case going forward. We're going to ship our customers high quality products and rebuild their confidence. And thus, you know, we delayed some of the high volume skews of Sapphire Rapids that also hurt the financials a bit more because of inventory reserves, which will reverse as we go into production with that uh, product. You know, but I'd also say, John, you know, the roadmap is healthy. Right, Sapphire Rapids going to ramp as we uh, finish the year. Emerald Rapids, our next generation product, about to start sampling the customers. And we're about to power on our 24 product line, uh, Granite Rapids, uh, this quarter. So all of those taken together, the roadmap gets better. You know, our you know, deepening of our customer relationships. You know, we announced uh, expanded multi-year supply relationships with Amazon and with Meta. And our market share losses that we've had in data centers, you know, it's at a few places. And we are going to fight for every customer, every socket, every workload as we get more focused than these better products coming in. I'd also say that we've had some, you know, great successes uh, in the quarter. And, you know, here I have our Gaudi 2. You know, this is now almost 2x higher than any other AI processor. And we just went to production with this in the quarter. You know, we also have our IPU product line where uh, we're doing the networking offload and uh, you know new capabilities for that. We also announced our Arctic Sound product line, our first GPU for the data center. So right. the strengthening of the Xeon product line, the deepening of the customer relationships, and having GPUs, IPUs, and AI processors, yeah, we're getting our mojo back to the data center. But this was a tough quarter that we have to rebuild from. And as part of that rebuilding, you also said that you're going to reduce CapEx by $4 billion, which, which is a lot, but you're also planning to spend a lot, uh, more than $20 billion overall. How do you reduce CapEx by $4 billion, but still stay on pace for what you say you need to invest in order to execute this turnaround? Yeah, and this, this requires just a bit more explanation because our gross CapEx, we only reduce by $1 billion. And, you know, essentially that's equipment, supply delays, you know, just as we're working with suppliers. But the net capex, the offsets that we're getting is what we call our smart capex strategy, where we're leveraging government incentives. And this is EU and the U.S. CHIPS Act that just passed yesterday. You know, customer prepays as they want us to build capabilities for them, particularly in the foundry uh, business and new financial partners. So the net capex went down by four billion, but most of that was driven by overachievement in these capital offsets, our smart CapEx area. So we are on track 
for our overall uh, capital build. And uh, that is you know, something that is essential to the IDM 2.0 strategy that we've uh, laid out. So you know, very little change in the real capital build plans that we have. You know, it really is overachievement and capital offsets that we've been able to now build into our plan. Mm. You know, and that's something that okay. we talked about uh, in our analyst meeting earlier this year. Smart CapEx being able to leverage multiple pools of strategically aligned yeah. capital will enable us to go effectively into the future. So just to clarify, you're, you're, you're only doing a billion less uh, in terms of capital projects, but you're you're having to spend a lot less than that. Got it. Yeah, the hey, net Pat. CapEx is required by four, but the uh, total, the gross CapEx only down by one. And you know, essentially that's only delay in equipment spend. And those supply chains have been very challenged. You know, we're struggling to spend as much as we want with our uh, equipment suppliers. Pat, good morning. It's Deirdre. We really appreciate you being with us after such a tough quarter. But can you level with our audience? They don't want to hear things like overachievement. When you took this job 18 months ago, you did the due diligence. You had to have known how bad things were. So why have you been so bullish since day one? Why have you put out these unreachable targets? Or have you misjudged the company? Well, when I took the job, Deidre, you know, I said this was a five-year assignment to turn the company around. And uh, you know, uh, a number of years ago, Deidre, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And day one, euphoric, the new strategy coming into place, just like that first day of the climb. Days two and three are hard, right? You go through the saddle, as they call it. Your head hurts, your feet hurt, you're acclimating to altitude. And then four and five, you start getting altitude and getting to the peak. Well, we're in the saddle. You know, we're in this period of time where it is challenging. You know, we're rebuilding the execution machine many good areas of uh, progress that we're seeing in technology, our manufacturing, but well, many of the products were years in the making as I showed up. So Pat, we always expected that this would be more challenging and we're underway in rebuilding that uh, team. And now I think we you know, set the bottom now in our uh, yesterday's announcement. We weren't expecting such a sharp economic uh, swing, Deidre, and I'll say we miscalculated yeah. that, but part of this was our own execution. Right. And, and Pat, though, when you climb Mount Kilimanjaro, you have to set your expectations. You have to save oxygen for the top. And I just wonder, have you done that for markets? Have you lost credibility? What grade would you give yourself 18 months into the job or this well, portion of the mountain, if you will? Yeah. And clearly, hey, we we missed yesterday. We own that. And, uh, you know, a lot of that was the economic, but a lot of that was us and our execution. You know, we're being put firmly accountable uh, for that to our shareholders. At the same time, we'd also say we've made a lot of progress. And, uh, you know, our process technology, you know, we are now seven nanometer shipping, you know, four nanometers getting great reviews, three nanometers going into production next year, you know, 20A and 18A. By 2024, we are, you know, competitive with the best in the industry. And by 2025, unquestioned leadership, key milestones that we're gaining evidence for new product lines that we're launching and accelerated the computing. Our NEX business had a best ever quarter. These are solid milestones of progress. You know, the Mobileye IPO, our capital offsets, clear milestones of progress. So I'd say it's a very balanced view. And yes, I need to do better. We need to do better and we will do better. Hey, Pat, you mentioned sort of the balance between uh, CapEx 
and investing in the future and shareholder returns. You're kind of in the same boat, I would argue, as some oil companies are in that you, you press so hard for, for uh, something in the national interest, which was the CHIPS Act, which got done uh, even despite the skepticism of many. And yet, uh, optically, CapEx isn't, isn't booming and the dividend is still huge. Would you ever consider funneling some of that return into CapEx? You know, we have very healthy uh, you know, cash flow from operations, even as we've uh, reduced our numbers. And clearly, we've asked shareholders to go on a multi-year journey with us in this recovery plan. And with that, we've con consistently reaffirmed our commitment to a healthy and growing uh, dividend. We've heard clearly from our shareholders that they appreciate the clarity of our commitment there. You know, our smart CapEx program gives us capital leverage from other pools of strategically aligned uh, capital so that we can continue that very aggressive capital uh, build out. And uh, as we uh, described with the uh, CHIPS Act passing, I'm looking forward to having a big party in Ohio coming up soon with our groundbreaking <laughs> ceremony there. We're gonna build more capacity here you know, for the future. And it really is a balance of the use of capital uh, for it. And we've laid it out a clear path and with smart CapEx progress that we were able to achieve this uh, quarter, I feel even more confident that we're able to keep the dividend as well as continue an aggressive capital build plan. Uh, and finally, Pat, uh, you, you mentioned recessionary possibilities on the call. Um, how, how well positioned is your cost structure should some of the not so great case scenarios play out with the domestic and global uh, economy. Are you? Do you have enough flexibility, or are are you at risk of, of being caught in a bad position? You know, we're we're pretty comfortable with the path that we laid out. We assume multiple quarters of uh, poor economic uh, performance from the uh, markets overall. You know, and this this really is acute. You know, it's in U.S. with inflation, Europe with the Ukraine war in China, uh, with uh, COVID and shutdowns. You know, so across the world. You know, that said hey, good companies embrace bad times and they get better because of it. And as I said on our call uh, yesterday, a bit of austerity in this period of time, it helps me accelerate the transformation of Intel. You know, we had you know, a number of things that we were doing over a period of time that weren't the best uses of our operational investments. And, uh, you know, I've uh, ended six businesses since I've been uh, with the company. Yesterday, announcing the Optane and uh, the uh, closure uh, and our sale of the drone business. So we're making the steps that I think give us the flexibility, but also allows us to take our resource and put them right where we need them, executing the IDM 2.0 strategy, the business build out that uh, we've uh, described. All right, Pat Gelsinger, Intel CEO. Uh, thanks for being with us first on CNBC on Tech Check. Always appreciate it. Thank you, three. Meantime, Roku share is down this morning after that earnings miss. We'll get more on that after the break. 63 is a long way from 475 at the high. Tech Check is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. 
edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Let's get a gut check today on how hedge funds are thinking about big tech after this crazy week of earnings, cutting their positions in aggregate, dropping some names like Meta, Alphabet, Apple, and Amazon from their portfolios in favor of some secular growth names. Jeffrey's data shows the total percentage invested in the likes of Fang and names like Tesla, NVIDIA, Qualcomm, and PayPal, now just 16% down from 23 prior. That basket of stocks, collective weighting, and fund managers' portfolios now more than 10 percentage points lower than they're waiting in the S&P, which is a long way of saying that hedge funds think the biggest gains for the year uh, will come from stocks outside of that group. And J.P. Morgan agrees, suggesting a pivot to growth over value or defensives and to buy the dip on some names like Zoom, Palantir, Snap and Uber, names that have fallen at least 40 percent from their 12 month highs. That's a bit of a pivot, John in sentiment and strategy from where we were, say, in uh, April, May, or June. But if you're looking to take big swings, right? I mean, <laughs> there's some big swings to be had in those growth names for sure. Um, you know, but uh, Microsoft hasn't gone down enough, I guess, to give you a, a really huge return to the upside. But I'm sure there are some people who are upset that they missed what happened this week. <laughs> and this month. Yes. <laughs> I look at the Nasdaq, guys. It's on pace for three and a half percent this week, uh, more than 11 percent on the month. So what a turnaround it's been. Meanwhile, Roku shares another picture here falling off a cliff down nearly 26 percent after reporting earnings yesterday afternoon. Julie, it was an ugly quarter. We know by now, however, that not all advertising is created equal. That is true. And Roku right now, though, is trading at its lowest level since March of 2020. Even worse than the fact that Roku missed on top and bottom line estimates was the fact that the company's guidance for the third quarter for revenue was about $200 million less than analysts had been forecasting. And Roku did withdraw its full year outlook. And Roku is suffering from what you might call a perfect storm of an ad recession hurting its ad business, a pullback in consumer spending and supply chain constraints, both hitting device and TV sales. Plus, there's the fact that growth in this category was pulled forward into the pandemic. Moffat Nathanson writing that Roku is locked in what they call a three-sided war, battling Amazon, Alphabet, and other TV equipment manufacturers for connected TV market share, fighting nearly every streaming platform for audience impressions, and now also facing off against the likes of Netflix, Disney, Amazon, YouTube, the list goes on and on and on for streaming TV ad dollars. Now here's the part that could bode poorly for the other ad supported companies that have yet to report. That includes Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount. They both report next week. And then Disney comes the following week. The company said that despite record upfront ad sales, they see a dramatically weakening ad market in the so-called scatter market. Those are the more last minute ad sales. So we're watching to see if those factors hurt the other ad supported players as well. Guys. 
Julie, I wonder what you, just taking the weekend stock, obviously the Roku story is the story of today, but Meta is now out of the top 10 list of uh, market caps on the S&P. I mean, if, if we're really in the midst of the beginning of a dramatic ad slowdown, uh, who has more to lose? Oh, look, there are so many different factors at play here. I mean, I think what's really interesting is that for Roku, the ad business was a relatively new business for them, and it was growing very quickly. And for them, they're competing against the other streaming ad players. They're, along with Disney Plus and Netflix that are now jumping into the game, and along with the Paramount Pluses and Peacocks of the world, trying to convert advertisers over from traditional TV advertising. So we heard Anthony Wood try to try to strike this optimistic long-term note of saying long-term he believes all TV ad dollars and all TV viewing will shift over to streaming. Meta has its own perfect storm of challenges right now, and that includes for Meta this issue of the Apple operating system changes that make it harder to target and measure the targeting of ads. But I think, you know, some of these companies, I mean, I think, for instance, the TV guys have more of their ad dollars locked in. It's really more of a question of this last-minute scatter market. Um, so we'll see. I think direct response does seem to have an advantage because you could really measure the impact of the advertising. But if all brands are taking a pause right now, then that would have an impact pretty much across the board. Although Deirdre did, did in, you know, hint at the fact that Google with search advertising is better, better insulated there. Right. Thank you. That's exactly what I was getting at. And Amazon, by the way, right? Uh, Brian Osowski, the CFO, said that yeah. their advertising results would have been even better um, better than the previous quarter if Prime Day was included. But let's stay on Instagram, Meta Instagram. Another challenge are these changes. We talked about this earlier in the week, the Kardashians sort of raising the profile. Adam Aseri walking that back a little yesterday. That's right. You know, change is hard. Change is hard, guys. <laughs> so what happened here is that Instagram was starting to put not only more videos from people who you didn't follow into your feed, more sort of algorithmic Video, uh, chosen videos, but there was this question of whether or not they were changing Instagram to make it much more like TikTok. We've talked a lot about the importance of reels and of that format, but the Kardashians complained that they wanted to see photos of their friends, not videos of people that they weren't following. So Moseri, Adam Moseri, who runs uh, Instagram Walk This Back, said they were going to take a beat, they were going to learn from their mistakes and try to figure out this balance of how to get more video into your feed, because that's clearly what's engaging, but how to do that in such a way that it doesn't annoy their users. Um, I like the quote he, he told our, our friend Casey Newton. He said, we need to take a big step back and regroup. This is the challenge right now. Um, Mark Zuckerberg talked on the earnings call about how 15% of the content that their users see is chosen by algorithms, and that will increase dramatically. Guys will have to see how they can do that without annoying their users. Man, first Apple hits their ad business, then the Kardashians. It's tough. <laughs> Julia, thanks. After the break, a series of price target hikes for Amazon. Is now the time to get in or add to your position? Or yesterday would have been great. We discuss, don't go away. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. 
Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here's your news update at this hour. Uh, the annual increase, the largest annual increase in 40 years for the inflation gauge favored by the Federal Reserve policymakers. The personal consumption expenditures price index increased by 6.8 percent in June compared to the same month last year. And it was up a full percentage point for May, the biggest one month gain since 1981. Crude is up 5% this morning in U.S. trading, putting it back above $100 a barrel. If that price holds, it will be the up 7% for the week. It's the biggest gain since mid-April. And crude is getting a boost today as Exxon and Chevron report continued strong demand for fuel helped produce record profits that are well above what Wall Street had been expecting. Chevron shares are up more than 8%. Exxon is up almost 4%. Deirdre, prices are coming down at the pump, but they're still high, and I guess we're all still driving. Even higher here in California. Mm. Bertha, thank you. We're going to turn back to Amazon. The stock's still rallying, now up nearly 11%. Our next guest it's getting more bullish, upping his more than 13% nearly. No, 10%, I'm sorry. His price target is upping to $180. Joining us now, UBS analyst Lloyd Walmsley. Um, Lloyd, it was a good quarter. Everyone seems to agree on that. However, once again, Wall Street doesn't seem to care about Amazon's profitability. Two straight quarters um, of a loss, plus this quarter at the low end operating income could be $0. Is that risky? If markets turn again, they start to value value more could that be a lower leg down for Amazon in the back half of the year? Look, I think the trajectory here on Amazon is definitely higher in terms of margins and profitability. They've been going through a really tough period in terms of really absorbing a lot of the inflationary costs, passing less than a typical company would along to consumers or businesses. Uh, we're starting to see them rationalize capacity. Volumes will grow into the fourth quarter. I think the profit outlook here is actually uh, looks looks a lot brighter ahead than what we've been battling with for the last several quarters. Lloyd, uh, Amazon did a lot better than uh, some folks expected in this quarter. But I wonder from here, especially as we look into Q4 and beyond, is a bet on Amazon also a bet that we get either a soft landing or just a very short, mild recession? Look, I think the retail business clearly has a lot of exposure to the consumer. But keep in mind, recessions in the past have, have been perversely good for Amazon. The prices are great. You don't have to get in your car and, and burn gas to drive to get something. Uh, so they, they tend to pick up share in downturns. Uh, and then if you look at the AWS business, uh, which is driving most of the profits of the business, they're firing on all cylinders. We, we came into the quarter uh, a little bit worried about what, what we might hear from them there. And they checked every box on, on the AWS business. Revenue is great. The backlog now, $100 billion of, of backlog in the cloud business, growing 65% year over year at enormous scale. It's extraordinary. So 
I think on that business, uh, which, which again, a, a big profit driver, uh, things, things, things look fantastic. I wonder what you think the bigger pushback is on the macro consensus, AWS on the notion of enterprise softness or e-commerce business on the notion of consumer softness? It's a great question, and there's been concern on both sides. I think what what we've detected over the last few months is more marginal concern on the cloud side. Uh, everyone knows, obviously, Amazon and retail is exposed to the consumer, but the, the question of the enterprise exposure has been a newer one for investors to be focused on, and we've definitely picked up some cracks in the cloud story, talking to migration consultants and people in the cloud industry. But when you look at the results out of Amazon, uh, they put a lot of those concerns to bed. There may still be some lingering concerns, but uh, between, again, the revenue and the backlog numbers mm -hmm. and, and the tone out of the conference call, uh, we feel a lot better on that, on that risk coming out of the quarter than we did going in. Yeah, Microsoft, too, put some of those uh, concerns about cloud to bed. Uh, Lloyd, thank you very much. We'll talk to you again soon. Lloyd Walmsley, UBS. Thanks for having me. After the break, while uh, Cohen says Apple could be headed to 200 bucks a share. We'll be right back with that. Take a look at the ARK Innovation ETF. It is on pace for gains of more than 10% in the month of July, and that would be breaking an eight-month losing streak despite some big hits to some of its favorites in the index. Teladoc and Roku each down 20% just this month after earnings, plus a huge loss on ARK's Coinbase trade. We've talked about that. And tonight, we're going to talk to Kathy Wood about all of these stocks and why she thinks the turnaround is underway. Do not miss the tech trade. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern. We're going to do it right here in San Francisco. So that's 3 p.m. local. We'll be right back. Let's get back to Apple's quarter. One piece we haven't talked about yet is China. Revenue there declined 1%, but that was seen as a major win considering the COVID shutdown-related challenges there. Our Eunice Yoon is live now in Beijing looking at the state of those shutdowns. Eunice, uh, just 1% down given what we're hearing from everybody else. Seems like maybe the brand is still pretty strong there. It is. Apple does have its diehard fans here. At Scalpers today told us that they're actually already taking pre-orders for the iPhone 14, charging an extra $400 to $750 over whatever the price is going to be in the United States. Uh, Apple has dominated the very high-end market, thanks in large part to the U.S. government's ban of Huawei, which essentially ran the Chinese telecoms giant out of the uh, 5G handset market. Um, Apple is also a topic of discussion today among Chinese consumers because it's offering a rare discount on its products, uh, reducing the price of its iPhone 13 Pro series for the next four days by about $90. Now, overall, Apple sales have been doing pretty well in a very poor performing market. Uh, IDC says Q2 smartphone shipments were down 14.7% in China due to the COVID lockdowns, as well as the slowing economy, high unemployment. Uh, the Apple uh, numbers, though, were looking pretty good. Apple outperformed with shipments up slightly from a year ago and expanded its market share. Now, things are also looking better on the supply chain side. Uh, thankfully, we do not see, at least for now, uh, super harsh 
uh, lockdowns, as we saw in Shanghai. That was a particularly vulnerable place for Apple, which has about half of its Chinese suppliers in Shanghai and the surrounding area. Uh, Shanghai has mandated that there's going to be closed loop or basically forcing your workers to live on site um, in certain logistics firms. But for the most part, the case numbers have been low. Now, of course, there's always a big question as to when and how or when and where, really, the next lockdown is going to be. And just this week, Shenzhen, which is a home base for another uh, Foxconn uh, factory, um, mandated that uh, about 100 big companies would have to operate also in a closed-loop system. Foxconn said that that is not going to have a big impact on its business. Uh, but at the same time, there's always this uncertainty, Carl, about what and when uh, these lockdowns are going to affect overall business. And it really weighs on people's minds. Uh, the, the, the mandate in Shenzhen is supposed to end this weekend. Will it? Nobody really knows. Uh, it is amazing, Eunice. I would say every time we wake up on this side of the planet, uh, we look for headlines about how the lockdowns or the lack of lockdowns are, are progressing in, in, where you are. Uh, it's definitely something that we're crossing our fingers on over here. Eunice, thank you. That's our Eunice Yoon in Beijing. For more on Apple, at least, let's bring in Cowan's Chris Sankar talk about the quarter. Chris, you do mention supply shortages are getting a little bit better. Uh, iPhone pretty resilient. I guess uh, the macro affecting services, I mean, of those three areas, and dynamics, what's the most important? Hey, should sure. uh, Carl, thanks for having me. A um, few things I would mention. Number one is clearly iPhone is the biggest driver for revenues. So that has been really resilient despite all the weakness you're seeing in consumer spending. Services is very important because it's a high gross margin aspect. And that's something you notice where uh, the guidance for gross margin is a little lighter. Part of it is because some of the services aspect like digital advertising are slowing and those are high margin components within the services. So I definitely say iPhone is very important, followed by services, then the rest of the hardware product lines. Krish, we've never really had a, a protracted economic downturn in the smartphone era. I mean, the iPhone was, was young during the financial crisis and so it was, it was growing off of a very small base. What's your expectation on how smartphones and particularly the iPhone will, will perform versus overall consumer electronics and say PCs, which have had a bit of a resurgence? Sure, John. Um, you know, so far the demand has been resilient. Where we've seen weaknesses in the low end uh, smartphones, not the high end like the Apple iPhones. Uh, we do actually assume a slight downtick in iPhones for next year, assuming a modest correction. So we actually do have it down a few percentage points year over year from a unit basis compared to this year. Um, I would say that the way right now you're thinking about is, you know, if you have like a stable phenomena, you probably have flattish iPhone to maybe slight iPhone growth, maybe a small modest correction down mid single digits. If you get into a severe recession, then you could probably be down 10 or more than 10%. And to your point earlier, I think um, any consumer spending weakness has not hit the high end consumer edge but it's something worth keeping your eyes and ears open to. Hey, finally, Chris, we came into the quarter talking about uh, to what degree the dollar would be a headwind. We had a discussion this morning about how well Apple did on that front, but do you think that kind of performance can be continued? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, at this point, I would say they kind of said it's about a 600 basis points headwind to margins. And uh, what I would say is that let's say the U.S. dollar remains flat right now all the way through end of the year, expect another 600 basis point hit to a December quarter margins to compared to 
you know, a year ago. So I think that's the way to think about it. Um, they do hedge pretty well, but uh, I mean, it does have some modest impact. I'm going to watch that. Obviously, huge ramifications go way beyond Apple. Chris, thanks so much. Good to see you. Chris, thank us. Well, did you miss part of the show or do you just want to relive a wild earnings week? Well, follow and subscribe to our podcast. Tech Check is back in a moment. One more thing this morning, we're going to get more tech earnings next week. Some key ones we're watching, Uber, Airbnb, AMD on Tuesday. We'll get Dash in there, Lyft on Thursday, John, along with the likes of Starbucks and Under Armour and Marriott and Caterpillar, ISM, and a jobs number on Friday. I think inflation, particularly when it comes to gas for Uber, for Lyft, for DoorDash, and whether end consumers are going to be willing to pay higher prices as that sort of feeds through, going to be a key here. How long can some of these companies absorb that? Are they absorbing it? Or are they able to pass it along? Yeah, D? Yeah. You know, if this week was the Super Bowl of tech earnings, next week, at least for me, because I love covering these gig economy companies, is like the mini one. But sadly, I'm away from my little brother's wedding. Um, however, when we talk about Uber, there was just this headline out this morning that said that it was in merger talks with Ola. That's an Indian ride-hailing company. Uh, Uber tells me that they are not and have never been in merger talks. However, I also spoke to a source familiar that said that Dara met, Dara Khazar Shahi, the CEO of Uber, met with the CEO of Ola, um, but it was not about merger talks. It was about EVs, guys. Um, and also, remember, last time I think Dara was on our air, he said that Uber was recession resistant. We'll see if that's the case. All right, we will. And our congratulations to the little bro. Uh, meantime, Thank you. <laughs> uh, mark down October 17th on your calendar. We learned this morning that's when Elon Musk and Twitter will begin their trial in Delaware court. They've been going back and forth, John, on not just the date, but the duration of this first round. This seems like they've settled on these dates. I'm sure it'll be very boring and we won't talk about it at all. <laughs> Get the popcorn ready. <laughs> I highly doubt. Hey, you know, we went to town on Musk's tweet about inflation last night. So you can imagine we'll be watching his feed very closely. <laughs> Overall, guys, we have been holding 4,100 for most of the morning. I would point out uh, the 10-year yield has been moving dramatically. 263 today is going to take you back to April. Enjoy the weekend. Let's get to Frank Holland in the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.